welcome back to This Week in Video Games episode 98. My name is Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well this week I've been playing Tunic, a new isometric Zelda Souls-like. I've also been checking out another breakout indie hit from 2022 and that one is called Vampire Survivors. You know, the big releases keep on coming too and this week I'm looking ahead to Tiny Tina's Wonderlands and that comes out at the end of the month plus I'll be rounding up all the latest news from Sony from their recent state of play showcases so it is a jam-packed show as always let's get to it welcome to the show everyone I hope you're well and you're having a good week now I'm good this week the sun's out it's feeling warmer and winter looks like it's finally on its way out, finally, with spring just around the corner. Now, it has been a busy time over the past few weeks with huge game releases, including Lost Ark, Destiny 2, Witch Queen, Elden Ring, Pokemon, Legends, Arceus. Yeah, we've been absolutely spoiled. I haven't even had the chance yet to go back to play Horizon Forbidden West, having been lost in the lands between, and also Savathun's Throne World since late February. So there's plenty of more to come. At the end of March is looking really, really busy too, and perhaps we can all collectively draw a sigh of relief in April and catch up on some of our backlog games, you know. But I would love to know what you are playing, and let me know in the comments on Twitter or via This Week in Video Games on Patreon. Over the past few weeks, though, Sony has been setting out their plans via two quick-fire state-of-play presentations. I'll be bringing you all the latest news and the upcoming games from those showcases later on in the show. Also this week, I'm looking ahead to Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, a new game from Gearbox and the mold of Borderlands. So, so I am a really big fan of looter shooter games, so it's going to be interesting to see how this one pans out. But before we get into it, it'd be great if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the podcast get some more eyes on it. Also, you can do a rating over there on Spotify as well. So it'd be really good if you go over there and leave a review on Apple or leave a rating on Spotify. So I do have a link down in the podcast description. So if you do like the show and want to leave a review, I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I will read out that review on a future episode of the podcast. And also, if you want to support the show further, do check out This Week in Video Games on Patreon and check out all the excellent Patreon benefits. Okay, that is my rambly intro over, but let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been focusing on some indie games, having spent much of the last month knee-deep in huge AAA titles, and arguably the game of the year already, and that is Elden Ring. Well, this week I've been playing Tunic, and it is a surprisingly good complement to Elden Ring, given the freedom and the lack of explanation you're given in this game world. Now, Tunic has been in public development for some time, and it's finally out, and it is very, very good indeed. And I'll bring you my review first up in the show. I've also been playing another indie breakout game this week, and this one is still in early access, and it's called Vampire Survivors. I do have to give a shout-out to Mike Mahardy from Polygon and Fire Escape Cast for the tip-off on this one. You know, it's a roguelike, and it's currently in early access, and it is a whole load of fun. I'm going to bring you my thoughts on that one later on in the show. Well, Nintendo have slowly been building up their N64 library on Nintendo Switch Online, adding more N64 games with one release per month. Well, they recently added Majora's Mask, which I'm very excited about to get later on in the year during, hopefully, a quiet period at some point. But they also added one of my favourites in the last few weeks, and that is F-Zero X. Yeah, it's a toss-up between that and the original F-Zero for the best iteration of this speedy racing game, but this one definitely pulls on the nostalgia string, so I'm going to bring you my thoughts on that one later on in the show. Well, I have got some timestamps down below, so if you want to pick and choose 
what you want to listen to in the episode, do feel free to use them. But first up in the show today, let's go over to my review of the new one, and that is Tunic. Well, Tunic is a game that's been talked about for some time. It's finally been released, and it's well worth the wait. This one is an isometric Zelda Souls mashup. You've got plenty of exploration, puzzles, and also surprisingly tough boss battles too. So when you first start out in Tunic, you don't really have much. You're a cute little fox, but surrounded by a lot of danger. So as the little fox, you can run, you can dash, and you can dodge. All these standard actions of a hero in an action-adventure game like this. There's one thing missing though, you don't have a weapon yet. And thankfully that doesn't last too long as you find a trusty stick to whack enemies with. You know, one of the big inspirations for this game is the Legend of Zelda series, and in those games you generally start out or acquire a sword very early on in the game. Well, Tunic attempts to flip this a little bit by starting out with a stick, but don't worry too much, a sword isn't too far away, you just have to read your environment. So it leads you on to one of the biggest features of Tunic, and that is the exploration itself. Now, the game does a really good job in nudging you in the right direction to explore, plus it does make it very worthwhile and rewarding at the same time. So when you first start out, you're boxed in via the bushes, and therefore a sword is necessary to cut down the bushes and find your way out of there. Well, Tunic doesn't really hold your hand too much, and it does a great job of using the environment to let you know where to go. Even though the game doesn't give you obvious pointers, so it's all very subtle and skilled in directing you forward. Also, it doesn't really throw huge roadblocks in your way, so you may not know the answer immediately, but after a little bit of exploring, testing and swiping with the stick or the sword, then hopefully you should find your way. Well, to help you along in your journey, you've got a little manual, and at first, this isn't much use, and it's covered in what looks like to be glyphs and a language that we can't really understand. So we start out with the instructions shrouded in mystery, however, it's not too long before we start to uncover details of the manual. The missing pages from the manual are items to be found in the game, alongside other useful items like keys, bombs, weapons, and you've got an armor. You've got armor and a shield and things like that as well. So it's not entirely obvious what some items are. You've got strange vegetables and valuables to be found. The answers to the mystery items are in the manual, but at first the pages are unreadable. It feels like the manual is inspired by real-life video game manuals from the NES era of games. And I was reminded of game manuals from Super Mario Bros. where they show an illustration of the moves next to a tutorial, and this is really, really similar. You know, Sometimes you can decipher what the manual is trying to say without reading the strange language, but more often than not you can't quite make it out, especially the item descriptions. One surprise about Tunic is the amount of secrets in the game, so they're absolutely jam-packed in and the game is full of them, so much like the Legend of Zelda games that inspired this, or specifically, I should say, the original Legend of Zelda on the NES, it definitely invokes the memories of playing through that. Hidden chest, items strategically placed on the map that just seem out of reach, and there's pages from the manual dotted about the map, you know, similar to the original Legend of Zelda, you know, that didn't hold your hand in the slightest, and you just have to test things out, you know, whack things with your sword, test things out, and in the original Legend of Zelda on the NES, You'd have an item like a candle which would burn down bushes, or you'd have bombs on walls with no indication of actually where to put the bombs. Now, this is really, really similar. You have to stress test various items and locations in the game to uncover all the secrets. So as to whether this is going to be for everyone, though, that is yet to be seen. And it does have a similar feel to Souls games too, where you can unlock shortcuts and secrets through trial and error. 
Exploration is definitely one of the most delightful aspects of Tunic. It's certainly not open world, but you can carve your way through the game very differently compared to other players. So for example, in the opening hours where you find your sword, it is entirely possible to get through that area where you have to cut down the bush with the sword you're supposed to find. So there's an enemy with a sword, and they can be convinced to cut down the bushes for you, and you can take advantage of this. So if you do this, and you're only going to have a stick as a weapon, then progressing in the game is going to be slow and quite tough. It's not always clear what you have to do, where you have to go, and if you've picked everything up. So I didn't have the shield for a period of time, so make sure you're scaring all the nooks in every level in case you miss something very, very important. Other elements of the game are a nice blend of Zelda-likes and Souls games too. So exploration is similar. Then you've got the combat and the souls of the game. So for example, in Elden Ring or Hollow Knight, when you die you can go back to your body and pick up the runes or the currency. And same is here in Tunic. So shifting over to the combat, and that feels really, really good. It's similar to Death's Door, one of 2021's best games. And Tunic manages to take the best bits of some excellent games, like The Legend of Zelda, Elden Ring and Death's Door, and pull it all together in its own experience. So the timing of the release is really interesting regarding Tunic. A lot of parallels can be seen with Elden Ring. Now these games don't hold your hand, they're both combat adventure games and very gamey games. So there's not a lot of explanation in these games and that is another great thing about Tunic. So when you boot up the game you immediately get into the action, hardly any explanation at all. Just get up and go and figure it out for yourself. There's no big tutorial, just get out there and get off on your adventure. Graphically, Tunic is very good looking, so similar to Link's Awakening Remake on Nintendo Switch, the fox and the other characters in the game have a very toy-like look to them, and the audio also enhances the experience 100%, so massive props to the graphics and the audio team. And Tunic has been tested and demoed over the last few years. I think I first heard about the game in 2016 or 2017, and we've seen it featured at a few Steam festivals over the years, with demos being playable and things like that. Now, Tunic looks very polished these days. The characters are very clean, the environments are colourful, and the whole experience comes together really, really nicely. Now, Tunic is an absolutely fantastic game and one you should be checking out. It's not easy, by any means, it's going to try your patience at times, but ultimately it's a very, very satisfying game. You can explore for hours finding all the secrets, or you can challenge yourself against the latest boss. So it's cute on the surface, but Tunic has a tough-as-nails interior, when you scratch below the surface. I do thoroughly recommend it though, and it's definitely going to be up there at the end of the year when we're talking about the Game of the Year 2022. Well, the developer was Andrew Shouldis, the publisher was Finji. It's out on the Xbox and the PC, and I played it on Xbox Game Pass for PC, and the original release was the 16th of March, 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Tunic. Absolutely fantastic game, and I would love to hear what you think about Tunic. Either let me know down in the comments, let me know on Twitter, or get in contact with me through This Week in Video Games on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. I would love to hear what you think about Tunic and your adventures in this amazing world. Well, that is it for my thoughts about Tunic, but next up, let's go over to Sony and see what they've been saying in their recent state of plays. Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've had a couple of state of plays from Sony, detailing what they got coming out in the next few months and setting out their roadmap of content for 2022. Well, today I'm going to round up all the recent announcements, plus all the releases coming very, very soon. 
So surprisingly, we've had two state of plays over the past few weeks. So the first one was focused on Japanese developers, and then the second one was focused on Hogwarts Legacy, the upcoming Harry Potter game coming to PS5. Well, first of all, let's have a look at the one focused on the Japanese developers. So we had news from Capcom and Square Enix, and also Konami too. So first up, we had a new IP from Capcom called Exo Primal, and the audience got very excited thinking it was going to be Dino Crisis, but unfortunately it wasn't. It's a new game called Exo Primal, where you fight off hordes of dinosaurs. This one looks like a co-op game, and it's currently scheduled for 2023. Well, next up, we had a new feature on Ghostwire Tokyo. So the previews have come out this week, detailing the first few chapters, and this is a smaller open world compared to other games we've seen in 2022 like Horizon and Elden Ring. But if you're into action weird horror, then this one could be for you. So Ghostwire Tokyo set for release on the 24th of March 2022. And in fact, that is later on this week. So then we had another feature on a recent release. So it's Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. That got a good few minutes of screen time. So this game is actually out right now. Plus we've got a demo that's available on the PS5. That is free if you want to try before you buy. This one is a Souls-like Final Fantasy mashup set in the same world as Final Fantasy 1. Apparently, it's pretty weird, and the reviews are a bit of a mixed bag, but if you want to try it out before you buy, go and try that demo. Well, Forspoken was up next, and this one was unfortunately delayed to October 2022, having originally been scheduled to release in May. Yeah, more time is needed for polish, and this game is all about movement speed, combat, and magic. It does look really good, and it has been on my radar for 2022, but it is a little bit concerning with all the delays. So the game definitely shows very well, although we have seen it plenty of times now, including a 20-minute deep dive not that long ago. Personally, I don't really want to hear too much more about this game. I just want to get it in my hands. Well, next up, we had Gundam Evolution. Plus, there's also a network test scheduled for spring. That's going to be really good if you're interested in that franchise. So one of the best announcements of the whole showcase was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga Collection. And here we have 13 retro games, including the original arcade, Turtles in Time, plus the original Game Boy game too. So I remember playing loads of the Turtles games growing up, plus this year, hopefully we're going to be seeing Shredder's Revenge 2. And that is one of my most anticipated games of 2022. So we don't have a release date just yet for the Turtles Cowabunga Collection, but I'm here for it when it does release. Well, Gigabash was up next. It's another neat-looking game. This is a kaiju brawler set for release later on in 2022. Then we had JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle R. That was up next, and that's a remake of the 2013 fighting game. And that one is set for release in autumn 2022. Trek Yomi was then sewn off. This is a samurai game. Gorgeous-looking graphics. Really, really stylish. This is a hotly anticipated game of 2022. And then we had a big announcement if you're a fan of Returnal one of 2021's best games. So we're getting DLC, including a new co-op campaign mission, plus a survival mode, coming to us with a free patch, and that is out later in March 2022. Well, Square finished up the showcase with a couple of new game announcements. So the Dio Field Collection is a strategy RPG coming out later this year, and then we've got another new RPG called Valkyrie Elysium, also coming out later in 2022. So Square Enix seemed to be a little hit and miss recently, a triangle strategy has gone under the radar. Marvel's Avengers, that was a massive flop, although they have had some hits with Guardians of the Galaxy and also the continuous success of the massive juggernaut that is Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, perhaps the success of the latter is allowing them to fund smaller, 
more experimental projects. Well, next up, we had the second state of play. That was on the 17th of March, and it was fully focused on Hogwarts Legacy, the new game set in the world of Harry Potter. So we got an extensive amount of gameplay, and this one is looking absolutely gorgeous. So originally set for release in 2021, this has now been pushed back to holiday 2022. That lines up pretty nicely with previous Harry Potter movie releases, which always seem to come out around the holiday season. Well, that is it for my roundup of the recent state of play. So I had loads to look forward to there from the Japanese developers. And also Hogwarts Legacy 2. I think that one's shaping up really, really nicely. Well, that is it from the state of plays. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. So at number 10 this week, up two places from last week's number 12, it's Mario Party Superstars. Then at number 9 this week, up one place from last week's number 10, it's Minecraft. Holding steady at number 8, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. And then at number 7, down two places from last week's number 5, it's FIFA 22. Holding steady at number 6, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, the ever-present in the top 10. And then at number 5, down two places from last week's number 3, it's Pokemon Legends Arceus. Then at number 4, holding steady, it's Horizon Forbidden West. And at number 3, down one place from last week's number 2, it's Elden Ring. Then at number 2 this week is a new entry, it's WWE 2K22. And then still in at number 1, perhaps surprisingly, this is Gran Turismo 7, holding the number 1 spot for the consecutive weeks. Well, congrats to the Gran Turismo team at holding the number 1 spot there. Personally, haven't dived into Gran Turismo myself, but if you have, I would love to hear from you. Let me know on Twitter, in the comments, or on patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts this week, but next up, let's have a look forward to another new game. Really, really excited about this one. This one is Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Well, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands isn't too far away now, and this is the next release from Gearbox, creators of Borderlands. So Borderlands 3 wasn't really too long ago, and Tiny Tina's has been in development for a little while, so it's really, really exciting for this one to see the light of day. Well, today I'm going to bring you everything we know about Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Well, in the story-focused trailer for Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, we see returning characters, including Dragon Lord, an evil necromancer created by Tiny Tina, and both Valentine and Fret. You know, this may look like a Borderlands adventure, but it's much more of a tabletop and D&D fantasy-inspired adventure, but it's much more of a tabletop and D&D fantasy inspired. So the world of Wonderlands include underground caverns, forests, and also mountains too. Well, in true Borderlands style, there's plenty of weapons to get your hands on, plus you've got skeletons and dragons to test out your wide array of loot too. And this one is definitely more fantasy RPG, so we've got lots of classes as well, and they include... So first of all, we've got the Stabomancers. This is a class all about magic and knives, as you can imagine from the title plus a little bit of stealth thrown in for good measure. So you can appear, stab them, and they disappear again, no worries. Next up, we've got the Berserkers. So here it's all about getting up close and personal while offering the cooler touch. Now, there's plenty of opportunities to freeze enemies while pounding on them with your fists. Then we've got the Clawbringers. So these guys are all about hammers and AoE damage. You know, similar to Kratos in God of War, you can also throw a hammer with it coming back to your hands. Plus you've got a nice little dragon friend too. Then we've got the spell shot, so this class is all about magic and spells. Described as ambihextrous, they can wield magic with both hands, plus you can turn enemies into all kinds of creatures using the polymorph skills. Then we've got the graveborn, so this class is all about casting dark spells. They're fragile but potent, 
trading their health for high damage spells. For example, they've got the Dire Sacrifice ability, you know, and they're similar to many respects to the Clawbringer. So finally, we've got the Spore Warden, and these are our Archer class. They can fire a bunch of arrows, plus they've got a handy Frost Cyclone spell that homes in on their enemies. Well, that is a little bit about the classes, but next up we're going to talk about the character creation. So for the first time in a Borderlands series, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands are going to let you create your own character rather than play as a predefined character set by Gearbox. So Wonderlands promises a world of multi-class heroes that allow you to use your skills and abilities of several classes. And this is going to likely manifest in a selection of skills which you can pick and choose and customise to your own playstyle. So talking about playstyle, let's have a look at gameplay. So Tiny Tina's Wonderlands is very similar to Borderlands regarding the gameplay. Fast combat, plenty of fun and games, damage numbers, and leveling up various weapons, finding new weapons to keep you growing even more powerful. It's that kind of traditional looter-shooter gameplay loop. So if Borderlands clicked with you, then it's highly likely you're going to like Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, given it's very similar. But if you found Borderlands a little bit annoying, that may be the case here as well. So this is very much a loot-based game, so find a weapon, use it for a little bit, then discard it when you've got a better weapon. So whereas Borderlands was a little bit more sci-fi, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands definitely sits more in the fantasy side of things, which has the advantage of offering up more fantastical weapons and armour. So these can all be collected and will provide much of the incentive to come back time and time again, but the big difference from Borderlands here is we have a lot of melee weapons. Also, it's worth noting there's no grenades in the game, Instead, players can cast a bunch of spells, and they have cooldowns in a similar fashion to grenades. But definitely expect a strong magic game in Wonderlands, so instead of throwing explosives, you can be able to throw fireballs and mini tornadoes to injure and perplex your opponents. Well, that is a little bit about the gameplay, but next up, let's have a look at the locations in the game. So Tiny Tina's Wonderlands is inspired by tabletop RPGs, so in regards to the map, you've got dungeons, quests, random encounters and loads of environments to check out. And we do have some info on the locations, and they include... So we've got Brighthoof. This is the capital protected by the Diamond Guard, which has recently been under siege by enemies. We've got Butt Stallion's Castle, and this is the ruler of Wonderland's Castle, also known as Castle Sparkle Withers. We've got Sunfang Oasis. This is a picturesque area filled with lush green lakes and ruins and this is all located in the middle of a desert, so it would be perfect if it wasn't filled with coiled snakes. Then we've got Tangle Drift, a massive beanstalk has grown and created another unique location, filled with people living safely, for now, out of reach of the monsters below. Plus you've got a nice tabletop star overworld where you can move your chibi-like character around a board, so here you can encounter random things, and that will send you into new mini-maps, is a unique way of navigating, really leans into the tabletop RPG, nature of the game. Well, in terms of the story, we don't know a whole lot about the story just yet, but we do know it follows on from the Borderlands 2 DLC Assault on Dragon Keep. So in that expansion, Tiny Tina and other characters in the first Borderlands player tabletop game called Bunkers and Badasses, and they play as the characters from Borderlands 2 and go off on fantasy adventures with Tiny Tina acting as the Dungeon Master. So director Matt Cox has come out and said a little bit about the story, in an interview with IGN, saying it takes place shortly after Dragon Keep, but it's a brand new adventure in a brand new world in the mind of Tiny Tina. So rather than being a fully-fledged sequel to that DLC, it looks like it's going to be a more of a standalone adventure. So Tiny Tina's Wonderland certainly sounds like fun, 
it's going to be interesting to see Gearbox's take on a fancy setting. It didn't quite follow up the success of Borderlands 2 with Borderlands 3, so we're going to have to see how this adventure goes with Tiny Tina in a Wonderlands. Well, that is everything we know about Tiny Tina's Wonderlands for the moment. Let me know what you think down in the comments on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast or over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. I'd love to hear more about what you think about Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, if you're going to pick this one up, which class you're going to be, and things like that. Well, that is it for Tiny Tina's Wonderlands for now, but next up, let's have a look at my review of F-Zero X. F-Zero X has recently been released for Nintendo Switch Online, and F-Zero fans from around the world, they've gone wild, given there's been little said about the franchise from Nintendo for some time. F-Zero has been featured on the SNES Online package of game for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers since its release, and now fans can play arguably the best iteration of F-Zero out there. Well, F-Zero X ramps up the speed compared to the original F-Zero, and you can really feel like you're speeding around the tracks in your futuristic vehicle. As well as the tracks themselves, you get to navigate the other cars, hit the speed boost for the most optimal time, you fly around the courses at such velocity, you know, anything you hit is going to send you careering off to the side, so do be careful. The controls are much improved from the original F-Zero and they translate really well to the Nintendo Switch Pro Controller. The courses are as tricky as ever, sometimes made more difficult knowing you can fall off the tracks completely in a similar fashion to Rainbow Road from the original Mario Kart. If you do fall off, that means you're going to explode, and you have to start again. Even though there's some difficult tracks, for the most part, the courses, well, they've got a great design. And you can see these cities down below, and you've got a decent sense of the sci-fi. Captain Falcon spawned from the original F-Zero, and probably went on to become more famous in his own right as a decent character in Smash Brothers, being right up there at the top as one of the best characters to play in the game. So I'd imagine some Nintendo fans would be surprised to learn that Captain Falcon came from F-Zero. But back to the track design, Nintendo did a lot of right in F-Zero X. You got big loops and F-Zero X has more of a sense of verticality than its previous iteration on the SNES. You got half-pipe zones on the track too, and that reminded me of speeding through Wipeout on the PlayStation all those years ago, or even 1080 snowboarding, also on Nintendo 64. Well, F-Zero has always been about driving, rather than something like Mario Kart, where you've got a bunch of items and weapons to help you out. This one is all about precise driving around tracks, so you can try and bump into your opponents if you want to try and veer them off the road, but it is a risky game, as one false move and you end up smashing into the wall too. So if you do like this type of game though, there is a specific game mode that caters towards this called Death Race, where the objective is to take out 29 other racers as soon as you can. Well, as well as the main campaign, you've got Practice, Time Attack, Versus Battle, and the previously mentioned Death Race mode. Now, these are all good supporting modes, especially if you want to practice before going into the cups. You've got four cups in the game, and after you get through those, you can reach the X Cup, and here, there's an element of randomly generated layouts, making it for an extra challenge. And much of the fun in F-Zero is learning the courses like the back of your hand, and then trying not only to beat your opponents, but also beat your own time too in the time trials. I remember as a kid playing F-Zero and Mario Kart, playing the same course over and over again, trying to beat my times or times that had been published in magazines. Well, as you progress through the game, you can also unlock new vehicles. Initially, you start out with six, but win matches and you can unlock new ones to take on your opponents. Each vehicle has stats including body, boost and grip, 
Plus, you can tweak the performance of the vehicle too. There's an element to the customization, but it's nothing like we see in today's games, like Forza Horizon or Gran Turismo. So at the time, this level of customization was impressive, and realistically, you do have to view it through that retro lens. So it's great to have F-Zero X on Nintendo Switch Online. We've got 30 vehicles, 24 tracks. Then you've got the X-Cup 2 with the unpredictable nature of the randomly generated tracks. Time attack and death modes all add to the fun, and the sense of speed is real with this game, and it's a fun racer to spend your time with. My only hope is that Nintendo pay attention to F-Zero, and hopefully the popularity of the releases on Nintendo Switch Online, and put some development time back into a new iteration of F-Zero on Nintendo Switch. So Nintendo surprised everyone at the last E3 with a new 2D Metroid game, so here's hoping they do the same again with F-Zero. So if you want to check out F-Zero X, and you can do, and it's part of the Nintendo 64 collection of games for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers. Well, that is it for my review of F-Zero X, and let me know if you're playing F-Zero X on Nintendo Switch Online, or what else you're playing on that service. I think it's really good. It's really, really nostalgic. really, really takes me back to my Nintendo 64 days. But I'd love to hear what you're playing. Hit me up down in the comments or on Twitter, or you can contact me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. Well that is it for my review of F-Zero X, but next up let's have a look at a new top indie game. This one is a breakout hit of 2022. This one is Vampire Survivors. Vampire Survivors is a bullet hell-like shooter, and then you throw in roguelike mechanics to create a surprising but very, very satisfying game, one that's going to bring you back time and time again. Now, for a game called Vampire Survivors, it's surprising that you don't play as a vampire. There's loads of monsters in the game. You've got bats, you've got beasts, you've got mummies, other scary things too, and one thing I haven't seen yet is a vampire. That doesn't matter though, because this is a gem of a game, and it's right up there with other fantastic roguelikes like Hades, and also Dead Cells. Well, the objective of the game is to survive, and there's an increasing number of enemies coming your way trying to kill you, and it all gets quite frantic really, really quickly. It starts out with only a few enemies, but the screen fills up very, very fast, and soon hundreds of enemies are circling you, trying to eliminate you. Well, the game is played from a top-down perspective, and the map appears to go on and on, so you can choose to run away if you wish, but there's only so far you're going to be able to run before you get stuck into the battle. There's a wide array of weapons to use in the game to fend off all the nasties coming your way. So as well as the weapons, you've also got a bunch of unlockable characters. First of all, you start out with a whip, much like Simon Belmont from Castlevania, and the whip itself extends and whacks enemies at regular intervals while you manoeuvre your way around the map. So the more enemies you kill, the more experience you'll gain, and you'll be able to level up your abilities. For example, you've got holy water that you can put on the floor to trap enemies and create death traps, and you've got holy books that spin around your character, creating a protective shield. Plus you've got garlic that damages your enemies if they get too close. You can get the power-ups that increase your range and damage of your powers, plus increase the currency that you can acquire, and also your health. The unique part of the game is that you don't really control the powers, which I alluded to earlier with the whip. All the powers and the abilities are on a set timer, and they fire off periodically. You start out fairly vulnerable, but after a few minutes of a run, you'll be a holy water throwing garlic munching monster killing machine, and it feels slightly counterintuitive, and it does feel like you should be running around activating the powers and abilities, but even though at first it feels foreign, you're going to get used to it very, very quickly. You know, one of the challenges with vampire survivors, 
and one element it shares with other successful roguelikes is you need to find a decent combo of items that are A, going to help you survive, and B, it's a combination that you enjoy. And sometimes these things don't come at the same time, but once it clicks and you've got that perfect build, the game is an absolute joy. You can pick off enemies at range, or you could dive in there and get up close and personal. It depends on the drops per your run, but also how you want to play. Vampire Survivors gives you plenty of choice, and there's an array of tools you can use, and it's up to you how you use them. As you're making progress through the levels, you're able to pick up gold, and that is the main currency in the game. Save up your gold, because at the end of runs, you're going to want to spend this on permanent upgrades, and that's going to make your next run hopefully a little easier. We can level up your weapons as you progress, although there is a ceiling on the weapons and abilities, meaning you can only level up so much before you hit a limit. Unfortunately, this is where much of the fun in a roguelike comes from, increasing your numbers and watching the progress of your little 8-bit character getting more powerful over time. When that stops, I wouldn't say the fun stops, but it does get a little bit more laborious, so as you progress and the difficulty ramps up, there are so many enemies on the screen that quickly moving out of the way no longer becomes an option, you have to face down everything in your path. There's a couple of additional modes in the game to keep things feeling fresh though, so you've got Hyper Mode, so that offers additional gold to collect if you're able to take on the quicker enemies. There's also a nice way of getting through the earlier levels which feels obviously sluggish compared to the mid-game and also the later game levels. You can also evolve your weapons by adding a particular upgrade that pairs well. However, the evolved weapons are fun. They're not really a real incentive for me to keep going back and doing that time and time again. They just don't really feel different enough. Vampire Survivors is currently in early access and it shows a lot of promise early on. So if the team gets it right and listens to the feedback from the community, so this one could hit the heights of another very successful game from early access called Hades. Now it's fairly unique in that it blends a bullet hell and roguelike mechanics, and the core gameplay loop is great fun too. So there are a few issues with the starting and later moments of the runs, but you've also got the Goldilocks zone in the middle, where the game feels absolutely amazing. If the team can tap into that and expand upon it, they could be onto a winner. Well, the developers were Ponkel and Luca Galante, and the publisher is Games Delta, Ponkel and Luca Galante again. So the platforms are Android, iOS, Linux, PC, and Mac, and originally released on the 17th of December, 2021. But do remember, this game is in early access, and you can provide feedback to the developers. Well, that is it for my review of Vampire Survivors. Really, really fun game. I'd love to hear what you think about Vampire Survivors down there in the comments, or on Twitter, or via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. Well, that is it for my thoughts on Vampire Survivors, but next up, let's look at what we got coming out in the next few weeks. Well, first of all, in the next few weeks, we've got March the 22nd, so we've got Kraken Academy coming out on the Xbox Series S and X and Xbox One also on the Switch 2. We've got Rune Factory 5 coming out on Nintendo Switch. Then on the 24th of March, we've got a few games. We've got a Memoir Blue, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Then we've got The Ascent. That's coming out on PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. Then moving to March the 25th, so we've got Ghostwire Tokyo. That's coming to the PlayStation 5 and PC. We've got Kirby and the Forgotten Land. That's coming to Nintendo Switch. We've got Tiny Tina's Wonderland, that's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Then on the 29th of March, we've got Crusader Kings 3, that's PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X. And we've got WRC 10, that's coming to Nintendo Switch. 
Then on the 30th, we've got Aerial Knights Never Yield. That's coming to iOS and Android. Also on the 30th, we've got Death Stranding Director's Cut. That's finally coming to PC. Then on the 31st of March, we've got Moss Book 2. That's coming to PSVR. And then on the 31st of March, we've got Starship Troopers Terrain Command. That's coming to PC. Also on the 31st of March, you've got Weird West. Coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PC. Then on April the 1st, we've got Five Night at Freddy's Security Breach, coming to PS5, PS4, and also PC2. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, then get in contact through patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames, or check out the latest on the website, and that is www.thisweekinvideogames.com. Send in your questions, your comments, your video game stories, hit me up on Twitter at TWIVGPodcast, down there in the comments, or on the aforementioned patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. Well, as always, thank you so much for watching or listening. And for more this week in video games content like this, like, subscribe, and share with a friend. You can check me out on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really, really help me out. Otherwise, you could check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.